Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. So where exactly are we with this HomeKit thing? Find out today in my conversation with Chris Allen of iDevices. Plus Mike, that's me, answers some listener emails. All on today's Smart Home Show. Hey everyone, this is Mike Wolf with the Smart Home Show. Today's guest is Chris Allen, the CEO of iDevices, who I've had on before, right after they made an announcement about investing tons of money in HomeKit development. Well, that was a while ago. Uh, they've since announced their first product, a home HomeKit plug, HomeKit wall switch, essentially, and uh, they're doing lots of other things. So we get we get nitty gritty deep into the weeds on HomeKit. If you want to get your fill of HomeKit nerdiness, kind of get a feel for where things are and hear behind the scenes from a company who's developing around it and also creating a platform for others to bring HomeKit products to market, uh, this is a good one for you. But before I get into my conversation with Chris, I'm getting more and more questions via email, and oftentimes I will answer them via email. But I thought, you know, why not try to answer one or two of these questions on the show? So, uh, so today I'm going to do that. And my first a guinea pig for this is Michael from New York, who sent an email just this past week. He says, hi, Michael. He goes, I love, I love your show. Just discovered it. But quick question. Do you know if you need a license? And if so, what kind to do home installation of some of these smart home devices, such as Nest, Wink, and so on? He says, it doesn't seem like a home improvement service, more of a home maintenance or handyman service. Please let me know your thoughts. Thanks in advance and keep up the great work. Well, Michael, I will say that it's an interesting question. Um, I've often said that there needs to be a new level of service type uh, installer, a new type of service from the folks who are selling DIY smart home stuff because uh, I've called DIY the big lie in the in the smart home space and that most people or a lot of people don't want to actually go through the difficulty in, of installing things like thermostats or things like smart locks or, or whatever. So I think there's actually a necessity for this. And companies like Lowe's and Best Buy recognize this, and they're starting to provide service layers for that. Um, but I also think there's an entrepre entrepreneurial type of opportunity for someone who isn't necessarily part of like a, a, a system integrator type of company that does things like Control 4 or some of these other type of solutions. Uh, this might be an opportunity for someone to maybe get in on the ground floor and provide installation services uh, for DIY Smart Home because, quite honestly – the smart home is such a new thing for a lot of people. Most people don't understand, including people in the construction space and home builder space, uh, as well as realtors. And I, I think I mentioned last week there was a gentleman I met named Branton in Dallas. Uh, I met him at South by Southwest, and he actually has a business just like this, just what we're talking about. He installs DIY smart home stuff. He works with construction companies, and he works with realtors, and he doesn't install any of the higher-end stuff. He, he feels like that stuff is actually not as modern. So it's an interesting approach. So I think that there is an opportunity here. I will say the one caveat is when I talk to people from larger corporations, like a, like an Instagram, for example, um, they will say that you need to have, if you're going to have a, a service that you install and, and, and implement and integrate smart home devices into home, you need to have someone who is an electrician essentially to do the electrical work. 
And I think that might be true. Certainly, if you're like a company or if you're like or someone who's a licensed and bonded in construction, you probably need to have someone who actually does electrical work do the electrical work. But I do know that I've used handyman services like TaskRabbit and where they've come in and they've installed something like a, a garbage disposal and they actually do some electrical work. They actually twist some wires, et cetera. And they, these people aren't uh, – they weren't someone I believed who had uh, an, a license. They weren't a licensed electrician, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I think it's it's an interesting opportunity. I don't necessarily think that you have to be a licensed electrician to do a lot of this work. I think if you're part of a larger company, that will be required. But I think there's an opportunity here for someone who is entrepreneurial to go into the space and possibly uh, create a business. So good luck with that. The next question is from Tim in Denver, who actually asked about home Wi-Fi and access points and what he, what he should be using. And he says he has a little bit of a larger house, and he says he hasn't seen me talk much about home Wi-Fi, but he's wondering in terms of simpleton access points, like those from Ubiquity or, or Meraki, M-E-R-A-K-I, for home use, would that be a logical thing to use? He says he needs three access points in his home, and he's leaning towards using Ubiquity for cost and simplicity. That's a great question, Tim. I will say I haven't used the Ubiquity access points. I will say that I know that they are highly recommended. Um, they're low cost. You can actually get them for 60 or $70. And they look great. Uh, if you, you look, find them, for example, on Amazon, uh, they're small. Um, the, the whole idea between something like a Ubiquity access point, folks, is they're not like tradition. They're actually built for the enterprise, but they're fairly thin in that they don't put up a ton of intelligence uh, like switching intelligence into the access point. They basically make them a thin device um, and relies somewhat on software for some of the, the switching intelligence. And so what I think might be the problem with this for most people, if you're not highly technical or if you're not somewhat technical, the Ubiquity software from what I've read is actually fairly technical. So if you had a large house and you put multiple Ubiquity access points around the home, it might actually work really well if you're technical enough to use the, the Unify uh, access point software. From ubiquity so that, that's just my answer again i don't have uh, a great answer because i actually haven't tried that so that's just kind of from what i've heard and what i've read about it i will say that um i've been using the almond router uh, which also can be used as a, an extender and it works really really well i've used some of the tp link uh, wi-fi extenders and repeaters but i haven't had as much success with those i know that a lot of people use tp link uh, access points because they are super low cost um, and the reviews are fairly decent on places like Amazon. But again, I haven't had a lot of success with them. I've had a couple of TP-Link products, and they've both been pretty uh, poor in, in my judgment. But again, I might be an anomaly. Um, I Like I said, I actually like the Almond router from Securify. I think those are available. Uh, you can probably get them for 80 or $90. So a little bit more expensive than you buy Ubiquity Access Point for. But like I said, very intuitive. A touchscreen interface, which I don't think any other router has a touchscreen interface and, and very straightforward to use. So uh, I hope that helps. So that's it. There's a, there's a couple questions. If you like me answering uh, reader emails as part of a regular feature, let me know. Maybe we'll make it a regular feature of the podcast. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you want to find more smart home shows, you know where to go, go to technology.fm. You can find the smart home show there, or as always, just find us in your favorite podcast app. Just search for the smart home show. That's it. Thanks for listening. Here's my conversation with Chris Allen for My Devices. You guys are deep in the midst of preparing for the launch of HomeKit, which you probably can't give us too many specifics on because you'd then you'd have to kill us because Apple has sworn all you guys yeah. to secrecy. But talk a little bit about uh, like what, right yeah, talk about how things are going because you guys announced your HomeKit platform at CES, which is uh, essentially a platform that people can help develop around and get ready. So a lot of tools, etc. And we haven't talked since that. So tell us what you guys announced at CES. 
Yeah, so essentially, as we, as we announced, um, that we have one of the first home kit products. We've been working with Apple since uh, January of 2014. Um, and, you know, we launched our first product at CES, which is called the iDevices Switch. That product will come into market through main uh, big box distributors uh, in, looks like, around the September timeframe is uh, the time we launch. Um, we'll get more specifics as we get closer. But um, coupled with that, through our you know development in the home kit space and uh, everything we went through in kind of bringing the product to market um, or getting it ready to bring to market, um, we developed some I'll, I'll call them ease of implementation. So there's some different ways uh, you can implement home kit through Wi-Fi or through Bluetooth uh, smart, um, and we've kind of built uh, the soup to nuts. Uh, option for folks who don't want don't have the time or the development team that can go out there and do this from the ground up. Um, it's not not to say that home kit's overly complex or that it's hard to do, but there's a lot of companies out there that have been focused on their own products and maybe not uh, up to speed or willing to spend the uh, manpower and the dollars to go ahead and, and enable their products. So we have a solution that can utilize what we've built on and uh, you know use an SDK that we've provided. Now, there are those who have been invited specifically by Apple. They've gotten the phone call to be a part, an early member of HomeKit, um, folks that have had their name up behind Tim Cook as you've talked, he's talked on stage. And then there are folks that you can maybe, you will be helping to get to market with HomeKit. And that's a different tier. So can you talk about, you know, if you are a specific early partner with, with Apple around HomeKit versus folks who just want to make their products HomeKit compatible, what are the differences? Um, the main difference is going to be that, you know, when you look at it, we were in the infancy, there was, you know, they're still building infrastructure. So we are more of a, um, a sounding board and a, um, uh, active feedback on implementation and what we saw, what we saw being, um, needed or required on the platform. Um, so in, when you're, when we were invited in that, in that sense, uh, I'll call us almost beta testers or, um, but it was a lot more active feedback. So, that, you know, I think uh, one of the great things that we've learned about Apple is that they don't operate within a vacuum. While they don't display it for everybody, it's not open source, they do take the feedback of uh, companies like iDevices and, and others that were part of this. Um, and, you know, it, and what it makes sense implement some of those suggestions that we have or that we see as necessities to make a, a viable product. The reality is, you know, they're providing the, the physical hardware that the software the software resides on, um, but we have to do the, the accessory um, to that product, and we are the ones that have to build that and do the embedded system there and actually develop that, and then couple that with an application that resides on their device um, so that it all works seamlessly. So there has to be some cooperation, and I think that's uh, we've been in a unique position to be part of that ecosystem. And my understanding is it's largely a need-to-know basis. So you may be one of their early partners, but what you're maybe the set of information you're working with may be different from what someone like at at like a Skybell or 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 someone over uh, you know a, a garage door manufacturer may may have. So can you talk about that? Is that is that kind of way, the way you've been treated or way the it's been working? Um, I don't think there was anything hidden necessarily. We knew right. we knew pretty much what the implementation was going to do. We, we've um, we were in a unique position where we don't make just a singular product. Um, we weren't doing iGrill, 
So we, we knew what other implementations were going on. Do I want to go make a glass door opener? No. Uh, <laughs> you know, Chamberlain has a, has a huge share in that market. I'm not going to go up against them. Do I want to go make a thermostat and compete with, you know, Honeywell or, or even a Nest? Uh, no, it's not, not really a good business model. So we looked at what avenues we could go after. Um, within the ecosystem that we knew were going to be available in the first kind of uh, first implementation of HomeKit, and then um, landed on Switch, and we'll have some more coming in the in the coming months. But uh, you know, we're excited to start a product line that will be in this home automation space that will help implementation, that will help uh, really cultivate, I think, uh, uh, DIY uh, home automation. And were you guys brought in with the idea that you would be a tools creator? I mean, you know, Apple would I. I would think it would understandably have their first party tools kind of coming out of, you know, maybe working within Xcode, but then you guys have a set of tools where people could get to market faster. Was that part of the understanding you guys would create a tool set and a platform for folks to get to market faster on HomeKit when you, when you talk to them? Uh, that wasn't an original foundation uh, or the original implementation for iDevices. It was, um, you know, bringing a product to market. Um, and, you know, what evolved was, you know, I recognize that there is um, from where a silicon maker may be able to get you in terms of implementation of HomeKit on the silicon uh, platform, whether TI, Broadcom, Marvell, whoever it might be, they can only get you so far. The full implementation all the way across the goal line to an application is is still um, there's still work that has to be done there. This isn't you know plug and play for the for the uh, product development company. So um, we've become an expert. We tout ourselves as an expert. We know what we're doing. I think um, I think the folks at Apple would say that we know what we're doing when it comes to this implementation too. So we just became we kind of fell into place, and it made logical sense to hold it out there because it helps build the ecosystem. The faster these products get to market, yes, some may compete with us, some may um, have similar uh, tech products, but the faster we populate the ecosystem, educate the consumer, the the more products we're going to sell in the long term. So I think uh, competition is healthy in this space. And are you guys expecting to be out uh, with the first wave of products around when they launch? When they launch. When HomeKit basically HomeKit? Yeah, it comes to market because essentially we're in pre-launch stage. I mean, it's been announced, but there's no real HomeKit products on market. Are you guys expecting to have your switch out about the time when all the other products come out? Yeah. I mean, you know, HomeKit, technically HomeKit gets convoluted and, and kind of twisted around into actually being a product. HomeKit is the software platform. Um, and then connecting to it is the various accessories. So, well, I understand yeah, that, but there's, there's been no products. Ground. There's been no products out with you know you can't go to to the store today and buy something. You that can't says go anywhere and buy it. Correct. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So we will be one of the waves, first waves of products. Um, you know, we're making sure we're doing a few different things. Um, and the fact that we've done dual implementation of HomeKit with both Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. So um, in our switch. So. Um, we see there's some value added in that, and that takes a little bit more work, but we are definitely looking to be one of the first ones out there. Um, there's a number of different things we're working on behind the scenes to make sure that um, it's not about always being first. Um, even though we've had a great head start, it's about making sure it works perfectly and doing a quality product. A lot of, a lot of first comes first come out of uh, Indiegogo or Kickstarter or any number of different companies. Um, or, you know, Kickstarter-type projects, and uh, they're not always correct. They don't always follow the correct implementation. It's not always the best user experience. Um, so we're really focused on that. We want to make sure that this is a solid product that the consumer can trust, 
comes from a solid company that they can trust, and then we can build on that with additional products right behind it. So you're working with Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. I know I know that uh, uh, Insteon is is working with HomeKit to make an Insteon to to HomeKit Bridge. Are you guys looking to uh, have saw uh, bait or to interface with any other, I guess, radio interfaces or, or Bluetooth and Wi-Fi are the way you're going to go? Uh, my personal belief in the way I've taken my company is that I believe Bluetooth and Wi-Fi are the, are the preeminent um, integrated or installed base that's in the market today. Um, you know, while Zigbee and Z-Wave and all the others have traction with like the security business side of the, the market um, still requires a hub um, and I think the whole point of this ecosystem and kind of the integration into the OS is it's a hubless it all works don't need to worry about is this going to work on this frequency because I have a proprietary frequency that comes out of my hub that only works with my products um, this really just says hey I'm HomeKit I work Stamped with apples, made for you know, made for iPhone, iPod, iPad um, <clears throat> branding, and uh, you know, hopefully that brings consumers' confidence uh, level up. So, and and we just saw last week that, or about a, two weeks ago, the Bluetooth SIG announced they're working on a Bluetooth mesh. Do you, are you guys? Uh, have you been looking at mesh as an from an early taking an early look at mesh? Maybe working with folks like Cambridge Silicon Radio to integrate that into your switch, or is that something you guys, you think you'll have in your switch at some point? Oh, definitely. I mean, that's the whole reason for the Bluetooth Smart. I think there's you know, look at we want, don't want to create something um, that is immediately obsolescent, obsoleted um, in you know six months or twelve months on the road. I think we spent a little bit more money in terms of what we embedded in the technology um, in that switch and the other products that we'll come to market with um, in an effort to keep them relevant in the marketplace and allow the consumer to have enhanced experiences in the future rather than just a singular experience today. Um, We have OTA capabilities um, that we'll utilize to continue to evolve the product um, and and, and surprise the customer and, and keep them coming back and wanting more. Talk a little bit more about your your switch, your HomeKit enable plug. Um, it looks like a you know, a, a, somewhat akin to maybe something like a Wemo, um, something that you could plug yep. different devices in. But you have obviously HomeKit capabilities on there. I would imagine you built some sort of cloud capability. So maybe go into detail about what all it encompasses. Yeah, so essentially the switch is a um, it is a smart plug. Um, you know, some of the differentiating features I think is going to be the setup process. Um, you know, that's something that I, that as a user experience, um, uh, evangelist, uh, I really harp on. It has to work perfectly out of the box. And we really tried to, and then a lot of what Apple did too was to try and create that perfect experience. So, um, you're going to take this out of the box, plug it into the wall. It lights up, it pops up in our app automatically. It's something you can add to HomeKit. You're going to click on that and say, yes, I want to add it. There's an eight-digit code that you take off the box or off the back of the device. Enter that in, and we go and get all your credentials. We, or iOS actually does, not us. But the implement, implementation of HomeKit will allow us to go get all your credentials um, from your network that you're on, set it all up, um, and then we walk you through very in a very clean and concise manner, setting up various scenes throughout your home. So I think that's really a big value add that Apple brought to the table on HomeKit is being able to set up various um 
you know, scenes as they're called of, hey, this is my living room and I like it this way when I'm watching a movie or this way when I'm reading and certain lights turn on and off. Obviously, Surrey integration, huge advantage, you know, the eventuality where you're going to be laying in your bed and say, Surrey, you know, close my house um, and, you know, doors will lock, cameras can come on um, or start recording, I should say, you know, lights turn off, temperature may go down or up depending on how you like it. Um, you know, things like that are in the garage door might you know, automatically close if it's not closed. Those are value adds to the consumer that I think have been um, really kind of unattainable at this point in time without having to put software on top of the OS um, and, and force integration. You know, with them creating this platform, it, it allows for ease of implementation from the consumer side and then also an ease of uh, user experience through the through the application. I don't think everybody wants to open up an app to turn on and off your light. But if you can simply push your home button and say, hey, Siri, turn on my uh, living room scene and have the, that scene turn on, that that's value. Um, I can get up and turn on and off the light pretty quickly. Uh, that doesn't get me excited. Um, it's about creating those different scenes and how we can evolve the user experience to really enhance their daily lives. If it doesn't provide a value to the consumer as a consumer products company developer and, and really our focus there, you know, it, we're failing. So we're about providing value to their everyday life. Talk about, you know, the early implementations of Siri that you've seen. Does it work well? I, I know that some voice control around consumer and connected home have been fairly clunky, but you're saying because it's it's native to the OS, um, the early things you've seen, Siri works well uh, from a command interface standpoint. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I beta tested in my bedroom today. Um, you know, most people know that if uh, your iPhone 6 is plugged in and, and charging, you can talk to Siri by simply saying, hey, Siri, you know, and uh, turn on my music or whatever it might be, right? So it's very similar with HomeKit. Uh, you know, hey, Siri, turn off my switch or hey, Siri, turn on my light or whatever it might be, right? And um, that that's a very big value add. Again, going in and, hold, you know, unlocking your phone, going into an app, opening the app, finding the switch you want to turn on, and then turning that switch on, really not the best user experience, I would argue. Um, it takes far too long and isn't a really good implementation of the software. So Siri, I think, is in a... Um, I don't, I don't know, you know, where it sits today internally, you know, what, but what we've seen, the implementation is very good. Um, obviously, it learns as uh, as it goes along. It's you know not a stagnant um, soft piece of software, um, and so I'm, I'm sure it'll only get better um, as more and more people use it. And your own your own cloud that you build out. Have you done anything from a, a cloud perspective? Any sort of software you largely relying on on Apple and HomeKit? Oh no, we built out our we built out our own. Um, we call it IoT infrastructure instead of cloud infrastructure, but an IoT backend. Um, we recognize that not everybody may have um, the desire to control something remotely, but they should have that option. So it's an, it's inherent in all of our products that they can connect to them remotely um, to our IoT backend. Um, it's not a paid-for service; it's a free service. We were able to develop something that is very, um, very rich in terms of the feature sets, very fast in terms of the latency. And then also coupling that with very cost effective and, and creating great value. So we have a number of folks who are looking at utilizing what we developed there on their platforms because it is so 
Um, it's very lightweight and very fast and nimble. And again, it's a, it's a good value for what you're getting out of it versus some of the other players in the space today. What about other IoT devices that are going to connect um, into your device and through HomeKit? Are you working with any wearable companies? I mean, one of the things I've heard about is some some uh, wearable com- companies are looking at integrating or taking HealthKit information, fusing that with HomeKit and doing some interesting, I guess, use case scenarios around having your smart home react to you based on where you are in your day from a you know fitness standpoint. Are, are you doing anything interesting around that in particular? Uh, in the wearable space, not as much. Um, yeah, and with some other integrations in terms of utilizing Bluetooth for uh, their connection to HomeKit and then still wanting remote connectability to our device, um, yes, we are doing work on that side. Um, the wearable side, I think that will be an evolution. I think um, I, I don't don't hold me this. I don't know what they're doing, but. Um, you know, there could be a potential that some people are getting involved in that. I think as the watch rolls out and different developments will evolve around that and evolve around that, um, it will uh, it will allow for a lot more to happen even through HomeKit. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting twelve eighteen months here. And so, talk a little bit about your device uh, roadmap that you can. I know that you had the plug, and and you you've alluded to other devices. Uh, can we expect to see other? Uh, devices in addition to the HomeKit-enabled switch uh, plug in 2015 uh, in the market from iDevices? Yes, definitely. You will see um, right now we stand to have about what will be in there. We're looking to expand the switch for global distribution, you know, China, UK, Europe, Australia, um, and all the APAC. Um we have uh, three other products after that, or four, I'm sorry, four other products after that. Um, that sh- three of them will be in the marketplace by the end of 2015, um, and then obviously we have our own existing products, but those aren't HomeKit enabled. We don't we don't see the need right now to HomeKit enable. Um, it could be something that we potentially do in the future. iGrow and KQ is what I'm referring to there. Are you talking about your your th- thermometer devices? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And so, what I would I would call the switch plug basically connected home infrastructure or smart home infrastructure, and in that it's not an endpoint device. Um, are you looking to create endpoint devices? And you know, not to get into any categories, but you know, you have Yoax, your lights, all these different things that smart home device makers are making that I would call endpoint devices. Are you going to be getting into that? Or are you largely going to stick in the kind of the smart home infrastructure side of things? Uh, no, we'll play on both sides, but it's really it's more about end devices for our product development cycle for our forward facing to the consumer. Um, but we kind of play on both sides because we do have the infrastructure play um, with some of what we've done already. Um, and so, you know, it, I don't think you'll see a branded eye devices necessarily, but um, we will be uh, maybe enabling other folks right that may have that infrastructure play coming about. So, like, you, when you look at the plug, um, I guess, uh, just to make sure my terminology is right, you know, that is something that enables endpoint devices to get to be smart-enabled. But what you're saying, you will be doing smart-enabled devices um, that would not necessarily be branded iDevices when you talk about those three new devices that are coming to market? Uh, the three new devices coming to market will be will be branded iDevices. Okay. Um, more so to the, the infrastructure play that you're talking about is some of the – um, we could be coupled with another device and uh, OEM um, to enable them. 
We could also be an existing device that plays an infrastructure play from the standpoint that if we're present, we can provide remote connectability to other devices um, through our cloud. Um, if they don't have, uh, if they're, you know, let's say they're Bluetooth enabled but not Wi-Fi, right? Then they might not have that remote connectability out to the cloud, uh, out to the network and be able to get that information remotely. Um, so that would be, but that isn't something that we're uh, advertising to the consumer. I don't think the consumer cares. Right. Right. They don't want. They don't want to buy another hub. They don't want to buy another box to stick in the closet and wonder what it does and wonder what works with it. Um, our goal is to simply embed this type of smarts or technology mesh, whatever you'd like to call it, um, into all of our devices. So as their resident, we can provide additional functionality to the consumer as this ecosystem expands. It won't be something necessarily uh, needed or, or immediately implemented um, from the consumers uh, in the you know for the consumer space. But it's there, the infrastructure is there, it's being built out, we're building relationships and different strategies around it with uh, with larger organizations that, you know, will allow us to implement and deploy a really good um, user experience and also some great functionality to devices that may not have had it in the past. For the, the and you, whatever you can tell me, that'd be great. If not, I understand. But the three devices you're coming to market with that are iDevice branded, are those going to be something that's a little more specific towards a, like a type of room or a certain type of use case or application? Um, they're relative. I mean, we look for large markets. So, um, you know, we're trying to step out of the niche market, which is like a growing thermometer and kitchen thermometer. So it is more around the home automation space. It's uh, definitely... Um, something that there's many of in every home, and you know we see a great opportunity to um, to tap into that market. So you know we do a lot of market research because we we're probably one of the largest installed bases right now of a of a connected product. Um, and, you know, and, and at least on the Apple side for you know this space, um, you know well over half a million users, growing to well over a million and a half users this year. Um, you know, we we can take their pulse on what they would like. So we've been actively surveying them and you know getting their feedback on what else they'd like in their home, and what the what the cost point and price points that they that we need to achieve in order to make that a, a really successful product. Got it. So what I'm hearing is it could be something that like you know that is in every home. It could be a thermostat, a light bulb, a lock, something like that. It's like along those lines, something that everyone has. Exactly. You're going to make it connected. Correct. Hey, well, Chris, I really want to thank you for spending time with me today, giving us an update on iDevices and where you guys are with the HomeKit market evolution. So thank you for doing that. No, I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for the coverage, and uh, I look forward to talking with you again. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you learned a little bit about where iDevices is with HomeKit and, gen- and in general where HomeKit is in terms of coming to market and what it's going to look like because I think we're getting close, folks. I think we're getting close. I think June is the big month. I think we'll see other we'll see products seeping into the market beforehand possibly, but – I think the big coming out party is just in a couple months here. So if you want to listen to more Smart Home Shows, you know where to go. Just go to technology.fm. Look for us in your usual podcast spaces, in your favorite podcast app, etc. If you want to read some of my writings about the Smart Home, just go to smarthomeweekly.net. I write a, a weekly newsletter you can subscribe, find out about many of the stuff I, I talk about on the podcast in written form. Again, smarthomeweekly.net. Hey, everyone. Once again, thanks for listening. My name is Mike Wolf, and we'll talk to you soon.